This is session 42 of A Better Brand of Happiness, and this session focuses again, once again, on Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, which you can read in your scriptures with me as I read Philippians 4, 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, in the previous session, I talked about this verse and how often it's taken out of context and applied to situations where it should not be applied. And in fact, those out-of-context applications really cheapen the meaning of the verse. They don't expand it, they cheapen it and apply it in ways that are less powerful than what Paul originally said. But we didn't actually look at the entirety of the verse, and so I want to come back to it again this morning and look at this famous verse from Philippians 4, 13. I can do all this through Christ, through him who gives me strength. These two men, Joshua and Ryan, are called the minimalists. And for a certain narrow channel of people, these two men, Joshua and Ryan, are internet famous. If you haven't heard of them, that's okay, because they're only internet famous, and so that that means they're not truly famous. But these two men have been friends since they were teenagers, and at one point in their lives, as young adults, they were living what many Americans consider to be the American dream. Both of them had jobs that paid them in excess of $100,000 a year before they turned 30 years old. But despite their financial prosperity, these men were dissatisfied with their lives. So they changed their lifestyles and are now known as the minimalists. Let me quote to you from their About section in their website, on their website, theminimalists.com. They wrote there, and I quote, For the minimalists, that is, these two guys, it all started with a lingering discontent nearly a decade ago while approaching age 30. We had achieved everything that was supposed to make us happy. Six-figure careers, luxury cars, oversized houses, and all the stuff to clutter every corner of our consumer-driven lives. Yet, With all that stuff, we weren't satisfied. There was a gaping void. And working 80 hours a week just to buy more stuff didn't fill the void. It only brought more debt, stress, anxiety, fear, loneliness, guilt, overwhelm, and depression. What's worse, they continued to write, We didn't have control of our time, and thus we didn't control our own lives. So in 2009, we took back control using the principles of minimalism. That's the end of the quote from their website. Let me summarize the rest of their story for you. These two guys were young and affluent, as we already saw from their own words, and they bought into the myth of materialism, the myth of the American dream which says, if you do well financially and acquire material things, you will be happy. That's the myth. These men bought into it. And they spent their six-figure salaries with abandon. But they were neither happy nor even content with the lives and the things that they had. So they sold or gave away or threw away most of the things that they had, and they drastically simplified their lives and tried to live a more minimal existence. 
This goes against the grain of our culture. Our world preaches materialism. It tells us that more money, more stuff, or upgraded stuff, better stuff than what you have. Or in some cases, experiences, high-end experiences that you buy. The, the world tells us these are where happiness lies. If you get the best stuff or the better stuff or buy a better experience, you can find happiness. These guys tried that. And they found themselves not happy. They found themselves stressed out and overworked. So they changed their lives and went to the other extreme. They got rid of everything they possibly could. And at one point in their lives, they moved from, I think, Dayton, Ohio, somewhere in Ohio, to a ranch in Montana, out away from everything, off the grid, as they say, as much as possible. All in pursuit of happiness through minimalism. But my question is, is minimalism the secret to happiness? If the American dream, the maximalists, you might say, materialism itself, if that's not the secret to happiness, then maybe this other side of the pole is. Is owning less stuff the way to find contentment in life? Some people think so. Joshua and Ryan here seem to think so. Although I've noticed, since I first encountered them a few years ago, that they have started a little cottage industry now around minimalism. They don't live in Montana anymore. They moved to Los Angeles and started a production company to make books and podcasts and movies. So I wonder if minimalism was as satisfying and as content, it caused them to be as contented as they originally thought that it would. Minimalism may be a less stressful way to live, but I don't think it's the secret to happiness. But some people think it is. Some Christians think it is, too. These guys are not Christian. I didn't find anything in their material that indicated that they looked to Christ for the source of their satisfaction. But there are actually some Christians who think that minimalism is a secret to happiness. I remember years ago when the first iPhone came out. It cost $499, and when Steve Jobs announced that, People were aghast at how expensive it was. Don't ask me how much I spent on my iPhone 11 Pro Max. But back in those days, when the first iPhone came out and it cost $499, a Christian blogger that I followed at the time bought one. And he, on his blog for days after it was announced, remember there were a few months between the announcement and when you could actually buy it. And during that time, I remember reading his going back and forth about how much he'd like to have one, but how it was more, he didn't really need it, it was too expensive. And, but of course, the lure of temptation was too much for him, and he went to the Apple store to look at one, and in an impulse buy, he decided to buy one. And as he wrote on his blog, this Christian blogger, about buying an iPhone, one of the first comments I recall seeing on the at the bottom, after his blog, when, remember, you can comment on blogs, or used to be able to back in the day, someone wrote this, how could a Christian possibly justify spending $500 on a phone? And the assumption behind that statement, that question, 
the implication behind it is that it's really unchristian to spend money on a high-end product like the iPhone. Some Christians think it is unchristian to buy nice things. It might be okay to buy a mid-size Ford or GM car, but it's unchristian to buy a BMW or maybe even a Mustang, some people think. And there are some reasons why they might think this. Jesus owned literally nothing except for the clothes on his back when he was crucified and the sandals on his feet. And you know in the words of Christ that Sometimes wealthy people came to them and he commanded them to give away everything and follow him. Paul, the author of our passage here in Philippians, owned very little himself and depended on the kindness and the giving of churches like the Philippian church to provide for his daily needs. And so some people think that minimalism is the secret to happiness. It's the secret to less stress. And even some Christians believe this. And so here we are. We're both Christians and Americans. Some people think it's un-American to be poor, and others think that it's unchristian to be prosperous. Where does the truth lie in all of this? Well, as we've been studying the book of Philippians together, we've been looking at this unit that I read a few moments ago, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And when Paul wrote these words, you'll recall from previous sessions, that he was under arrest in Rome. He was awaiting trial before Caesar and not living in prison, but actually living under house arrest in a house that he himself was paying for in the city of Rome. And the church in the city of Philippi, to which this letter was written, they felt for Paul, and they wanted to help his needs, so they collected some money as a church, and they sent it off to Paul in Rome to give him to help pay for his expenses. The book of Philippians is Paul's response to their gift. And this paragraph specifically, Philippians 4, 10 through 20, is where Paul addressed their gift, where he spoke about it in detail. And as we've seen in previous sessions, Paul was very grateful for their gift. But his gratitude really wasn't about the money or what it allowed for him. Rather, there was, Paul saw a much deeper, a much more spiritual significance, both on their part and on his own, when it came to thinking about this money that the Philippians had collected for him. His gratitude had more to do with spirituality than it did with finances or materialism. And in previous sessions, I summarized this paragraph of Scripture. And I gave you my summary, the big idea statement for it, which is when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. Now, in coming sessions, we're going to look at verses 14 through 20. This is where Paul got into the details about what it meant to him that the Philippians sent him this money. And so the last part of my big idea statement there, he was more grateful for what it meant, I'll go into detail on in future sessions as we go through this paragraph. But here in Philippians 4.13, Paul has been teaching something about money to the Philippians. And he's been teaching them and us that happiness or contentment, the word he uses in verses 11 and 12, 
that feeling of settledness where you don't have anxiety and you don't have a sense of longing for something that's missing in your life. Contentment, happiness, Paul has been teaching, has nothing to do with money or material possessions. That's what he's been adamantly trying to enforce in these verses that we've been studying together. And so the first thing we need to realize and that I want to address again this morning is this, that neither minimalism nor materialism is the secret to happiness. Try either route. Neither one on its own will bring you happiness. And in verses 11 through 12, Paul said that he could be happy in either of these conditions, whether he was living in minimalism or with lots of materialism. Look again at verse 11. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need. Now here's where we come to the point. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And Paul really means it when he says whatever the circumstances. He's going to talk about money here in a moment. But he means more than just whether he's rich or poor. He means really whatever the circumstances, whether he's incarcerated or free, whether he lives or dies. Paul's been hitting on these themes all throughout the book of Philippians. And he's saying that that contentment is possible. Happiness is real. But it has nothing to do with the circumstances of our lives. And verse 12 goes into detail about the materialism or lack thereof aspect of contentment. Look again at verse 11, 11, uh, verse verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. All right, there's the minimalism. It's a, a forced minimalism, but minimalism nonetheless. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. There's not materialism for its own sake, but material prosperity. And he goes on in verse 12 and says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In these verses, Paul describes the possibility and the reality in his own life of contentment, of happiness. And he says it didn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what the condition of his life was. He could be happy in any condition. And the truth of the matter is that this is really the consistent theme of all of Scripture. That neither poverty, poverty nor prosperity has really anything to do with your happiness or dissatisfaction in life. Other passages of Scripture address both poverty and prosperity. And one thing they tell us is that poverty is neither a shameful nor a desirable condition. See, that's, that's kind of where people are. Some people think it's shameful to be, po- to be poor. Other people think it's desirable to be poor. The minimalists weren't poor in the sense that they necessarily gave away all their money, but they were poor in the sense of material things. They were trying a, another kind of a vow of poverty. And they have made a whole little cottage industry about promoting this as the secret to happiness. But the Bible says that neither that poverty is neither shameful nor is it necessarily a desirable condition to be in. Look at this verse from James 2.5, where the scripture says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the eyes of this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom promised 
to those who love him? God doesn't look at poor people with any sense of undesirability at all. And neither should you or me. Your income or wealth or material possessions have nothing to do with your relationship with God. But poverty doesn't solve all spiritual problems either because poverty has its own temptations. Poverty can tempt you toward anxiety because if you don't have anything in reserve, you can worry about what, where next, the next meal is going to come from or how you're going to pay the bills. It can also tempt you to envy, to jealousy. It could also tempt you or even possibly lead you into theft. Why is it that poor areas of a city or our country have more crime? The answer is because poverty is hard. And it creates temptations to steal, to try to meet your needs. And so poverty is, in the scripture is neither an enviable position to be in, nor is it a uh, position to look down on others for. But the Bible also has that kind of attitude toward prosperity. Prosperity is neither a sin, nor is it an enviable position for you to put your mind upon. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, the scripture says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, it's true that Jesus did tell some rich people who came to him and said they wanted to follow him to get rid of their possessions. But that's not a blanket statement throughout Scripture at all. That was targeted at them because they had a problem with idolatry. And in one case, the man wouldn't follow Jesus because he loved his wealth too much. And so there are temptations that come with prosperity. But the Bible doesn't say that prosperity is something necessarily that's evil at all. This verse doesn't tell the, the, the wealthy to get rid of their wealth and to get rid of their possessions and try poverty. It says, be generous with what you have and trust God instead of your riches. So you can be poor and godly or poor and ungodly. You can be wealthy and godly or wealthy and ungodly. The Bible gives examples of people like Abraham and Job and others who had vast amounts of prosperity, and yet they were godly men. But like poverty, prosperity contains its own temptations and sins. These verses here in 1 Timothy 16 and 17 tell us that arrogance is a temptation that the wealthy have. It says, command them not to be arrogant, it also tells us that idolatry is something that the wealthy can be tempted by. It says, don't put your hope in wealth. Your hope is what you look to, what you have faith in. It's, it's a substitute for God. The wealthy also deal with anxiety, not just the poor. Because as 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, that wealth is uncertain. And a lot of wealthy people are worried that they are going to mismanage their funds, and lose them all. And so anxiety can happen to you whether you're rich or poor. The Bible commends neither poverty nor prosperity. Neither minimalism nor materialism is the secret to happiness. 
scripturally speaking. So what is the secret to happiness? Looking in at Philippians 4.13, remember the context. Paul says, I've learned to be content in any situation. And in verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And him in this context is Jesus Christ. Neither minimalism nor materialism is the secret to happiness. So what is? Well, the Bible is clear that knowing Christ is the secret to happiness. That's what the Bible commends. It commends us to look not at poverty or prosperity, but to look at Christ and find in Him our happiness and joy and satisfaction. Philippians 4.13 tells us that Paul's secret to happiness is Christ. Remember in verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret right in the middle of the verse. And then verse 13 tells us what that secret is. It says, I can do all this. I can be content in any situation through him who gives me strength. So Philippians 4.13 tells us Paul's secret to happiness, which is Christ. And Paul learned to be content in any and every, every situation through his faith in Jesus Christ. But notice at the end of verse 13, it says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the part of the verse that we haven't looked at yet. Those words, who gives me strength, tell us the secret that Paul talked about in verse 12. It tells us that the secret is finding your strength, your strength to overcome the temptations that both prosperity, and poverty bring. The strength to to do that is found in Jesus Christ. The secret of being content in every situation is knowing and loving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, Paul says, as a byproduct, Christ strengthens you to deal with your circumstances and feel content, feel happiness, no matter what. Christ gave Paul the strength to be content in any and every circumstance. Whether he was in prison, whether he was free, whether he was poor, or whether he was well supplied, whether his life was on the line, or whether he had seemingly many years ahead of him. Paul said, none of this stuff really matters. What matters is my faith in Christ. He strengthens me in all the situations in life. But this verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, is really a summation of much of what Paul has been teaching throughout the book of Philippians. Paul has come back to the importance of Christ over and over again in the book of Philippians. I'm just going to touch on a couple of passages, but there are a lot of them. Earlier passages in Philippians tell us how Christ strengthens us to be content. Philippians 1, 20 through 24 tells us that Paul, whether Paul lived or died, didn't matter to him. He was content regardless because he was in Christ. Notice these words. In Philippians 1, 20 through 24, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, 
And to die is gain. This is another of the most famous verses in Philippians. And I'm not so sure that often when it's quoted or thought of by Christians that we realize that Paul meant this literally. He meant whether I live, I'm going to live for Christ, or whether I die, I'm going to gain because I am with Christ. But notice the next verse, because the next verse tells us exactly that. Verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. Paul says if I live and I'm released from prison, then I get get to keep serving Christ. I get to keep delivering the gospel. I get to keep racking up treasure in heaven. And I get to keep growing in my faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he says, I can't lose if I win, if I live, that is. But then he goes on, continuing in verse 22. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Paul is saying, you know what? Death sounds pretty good, actually. Because it means no more struggle with sin. It means no more dealing with poverty. It means no more getting tossed into jail and and being whipped and beaten for my faith. It means being with Christ forever without all the problems of living in this world. So Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so you see that Paul says, I can be content whether I get released from this incarceration or whether the Roman emperor takes my life as a martyr for Jesus Christ. Paul said, it didn't matter to me. I can be content no matter what. Paul had no anxiety whatsoever about his upcoming trial. Because whatever the outcome of that trial, he said, it's a win. Because I know Christ one way or the other. Nothing Paul had in terms of material possessions. And nothing Paul did with his life, no experience that he had, was as valuable to him as learning to know Christ. We saw that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Let me just refresh your memory about these words. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8 says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider to be loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Why would Paul say, I can do all this, I can be content in every situation through Christ who gives me strength? Because Christ was what he wanted in life. It's what he desired, knowing Christ meant more to him than any possession he ever had, than any title he ever had over his name or around his name. It meant more to him than his Jewish heritage. It meant more to him than anything in life. When he put his focus on Jesus Christ, he found happiness. He found true joy. And this is the secret to being content in any and every situation. It's to stop looking at your circumstances and instead fix your attention on Jesus Christ. Focus on your walk with Jesus Christ. For us, it means, to do this, it means cultivating a prayer life. And Paul talked about that earlier in Philippians 4 when he says, in everything... By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But it also meant getting into the Word. It means that for us as well. And learning what, who God is and who Christ is and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The world preaches to us that material objects are the secret to happiness or minimalism is the secret to happiness. But Paul says, and God's Word says, that a better brand of happiness comes from trusting Christ for the strength to handle anything that He brings into your life. The strength to be content in all situations is a byproduct of knowing and loving and following Jesus Christ. And that means when we feel discontent in this world, the secret is not to purge ourselves of things, though you know that might be an appropriate thing to do. And it's not necessarily to improve our situation in life. And by the way, that's not wrong either. What's wrong is thinking that one or the other is the secret. It's not the secret. When we feel discontent with this life, we need to look at our walk with God. We need to look at what we're truly living for. Are we living to know Jesus Christ or are we living for something else? That's a better brand of happiness. It's trusting Christ for the strength to handle anything and everything that he brings into your life. Johnny Erickson Tata is a Christian woman that you may have heard of. She's a Christian woman and she's also a quadriplegic. She became disabled as a teenager when she dove into a lake and thought it was deeper than it was. broke her neck, and became, as I said, a quadriplegic after that. On her website, she talks about this verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And she talks about the challenge of believing those words as a quadriplegic. And how other Christians who have disabilities, particularly physical disabilities like hers, struggle with the meaning of this verse. And as I mentioned last time, the reason that they struggle with it or we struggle with it in different contexts is we don't understand that what Paul is saying we can do is be content. But anyway, um, Johnny said these words on her website. Let me quote. It says, Once when I was speaking to a small group of teenagers with disabilities, a 14-year-old with cerebral palsy shifted in her wheelchair and said, Johnny, I've been quoting Philippians 4.13 for years, telling people that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But lately it's hit me that, well, I can't. I can't walk or run. I can't drive. I, I don't get that verse. And Johnny said this, I grinned because I identified. Can you imagine what it would be like as a quadriplegic to read these words out of context? And think maybe if you had more faith, you could move your arms and legs. But Johnny goes on and says this, like, a, like this teenager, there are plenty of activities in which I cannot participate. But Philippians 4.13 isn't an against-all-odds guarantee that you can do physically everything you want. It's a promise that you can do everything God asks you to do with the help of Christ, who gives you strength and power. And that's a big promise, she says, for anyone affected with a disability. And it's also a big 
promise to us who are affected with moral disabilities, who are affected with the moral disability of discontentment, who look at our circumstances or our materialism or lack thereof and think, if only I could change my circumstances, I could finally find contentment or happiness. That's what we think, and that's what we're told. But the scripture tells us that there's a much better brand of happiness than this. It tells us that a better brand of happiness comes from trusting Christ for the strength to handle everything that happens in life. This is a better brand of happiness. And if you're watching this online or you're here and, and you're not a Christian, this is where contentment needs to begin for you. It needs to be, it begin by you stopping stopping the worry or the thoughts about the life that you have and beginning to think about your relationship with God. Particularly, the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners in the sight of God. We've all broken God's laws and we're guilty before him and we deserve his just punishment for our sins. But here's what God did. Because we could never earn our way out of God's disfavor, Christ came into this world and became a man and lived a perfect life that we could never live, and then died as a sacrifice, as a substitute for our sins. That is the core message of our faith. It's what we call the gospel, that Jesus died for sinners. And if you're not a Christian, your road to true satisfaction and happiness and contentment in Jesus Christ starts by putting your faith and trust in him alone for salvation. For those of us who are Christians, we constantly need this reminder because we are constantly tempted to think that circumstances or materialism or simplicity are the secrets to happiness in life. They aren't. Christ is the secret to happiness. And any discontentment we have with our lives should turn us inward to where our focus is and what is the quality of our walk with God? This is a better brand.